Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Thanks, Mike, and thanks, church, for the prayers. Uh, good morning. You guys doing all right? Some of you look like you're already dreading the early signs that we live in a place that gets cold for a few months out of the year. Um, I'm using the lapel mic for the first time in a while because I found that I can't hold the mic and juggle actual paper like I used to do. And so uh, hopefully it's not too... Can you hear me okay on this thing? All right. Well, if you're new to our church, if you haven't been here in a while, my name is Dave. I serve as the lead pastor here, and we have been walking through a sermon series called Life on Life Ministry. And it is looking at the first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy... Um, really in the spirit of a spiritual father investing, pouring out his life into his spiritual son. They weren't related by blood, but that kind of commitment to each other is a deeper kind of family than many people ever experience in the family of their birth. And so we want to encourage you to think about, throughout this series, what it means for one human being to pour their life into another human being for the sake of spiritual growth. It is one of the most important things you can do in your earthly life. And let me expand the scope of it and remind you that you can also do this with your physical family. In fact, that's probably the best place to learn how to do this to get your start, is to really pour your heart and your soul into one another. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and we're going to park on these 12 verses for the next three weeks. And so I'm not going to, it's just too much there. I didn't feel like I could blow through it in one message and do justice. And so we'll try to make sense of these 12 verses over the next three messages. And I've I've chosen to title this little mini-series within the series, What Maturity Looks Like. What Maturity Looks Like. And you'll understand why I'm calling it that as we continue on with the message. So it's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Here's what it says. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do in a manner worth, do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate, and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children 
and his household well. That's a lot. If you're a leader, that probably just depressed you a lot. Uh, In this passage, what is happening is that Paul is instructing Timothy because he's picking up the pieces of a church devastated by bad leadership, by false prophets who had moved into the church and created all kinds of, of chaos in the church family. And Timothy is there now in Paul's stead trying to clean up this mess. And one of the things he's telling Timothy is, when you rebuild anything, you've got to start with the leadership. If you pick bad leaders, you're going to have a bad organization. And if the church is under the wrong kind of leadership, it will be devastating. So that's really the, the purpose of this part of the letter. He's instructing Timothy, and he's giving instructions to both the elders and the deacons. When it lists the women there in that one verse, I, I think there's a little dividedness among scholars who he's addressing, whether it's the wives of deacons or female deacons. I side with the interpretation that it's referring to female deacons. And so I think he's basically saying this. I'm offering guidance on what kind of people should take the positions of the senior leadership of the church. Because these people will not only govern what happens on a Sunday, but because the the nature of the church is so encompassing, they will have a real-life impact on so many people. Now, a sure way to get lost in life is to move without a destination in mind. Nobody really does that, do they? You don't get in your car and just start driving and see where your car takes you. If you want to get somewhere, you've got to have some idea where you're trying to get. And so I guess one question is, if we're doing life-on-life ministry, if we're investing ourselves in one another's lives, what's the end product? What are we going for? I mean, what are we aiming at? If I say to you, look, I want to walk with you for a couple of years. I want to pour myself into your life because I want to see this happen to you. What is that goal, that final product? Paul answers that question for us in his letter to the Ephesian church. He says, now these are the gifts Christ gave the church. And by saying gifts, he's talking about the leaders he's raised up for the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that what? We will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So in essence, what he's saying is, the main mission of spiritual leaders is to help other people achieve spiritual maturity. That the end product of life-on-life ministry is not merely survival, but that people we are investing in will grow to what we would call spiritual maturity. And that's what I believe he's describing in this text. Is He's answering the question, what does maturity look like? What does it look like? If I engage you, what am I trying to get to happen in your life? This is a, uh, an image of the Pieta in the Vatican sculpted by Michelangelo, and he famously said this about his sculpting work. In every block of marble, I see a statue as plain as though it stood before me, shaped and perfect in attitude and action. I have only to hew away the rough walls that imprison the lovely apparition to reveal it to the other eyes as mine see it. Let me put that in plain English. 
When he looks at a block of marble, everyone else sees a block of marble. He already sees the statue and he's using his chisel to set it free. And because in sculpting you can't unchip away a piece of marble, if you don't know what you're trying to get out of that block, you're going to mess up along the way. And so what Michelangelo is saying is, as I go to work on that block, I have a very clear picture in my mind what I believe the end product is supposed to look like. And in these verses, Paul is laying out this long list of rambling qualifications to paint a picture for Timothy. If you're out trolling the fellowship hall looking for your next leaders, look for people like this. Because these descriptions paint a picture of a person who is spiritually mature. And it is only these kinds of people who should hold influence in the family of God. Now, I looked at that list, and I put it, I put it together like this. I, I put a, uh, all the qualifications on a list, and I, I, it was just kind of overwhelming. There were so many of them, and I couldn't see a pattern in them at first. But over time, as I wrestled through it, I, I think I see three main groupings of these descriptions of spiritual maturity. And I would frame them this way. They are three groupings related around relationships. That's the way you can understand what spiritual maturity looks like. It has a definite impact on the way you relate to people. And so the first grouping is what I would call character. It's the way you relate to yourself. All right? I think character is ultimately born out of honesty with ourselves, with a true view of who I am. And then there's lordship, which talks about your mature relationship with God. What controls you? What motivates you? What do you trust? What gives you peace when you're scared? Those things all relate to how you relate to God. And finally, there's community, which is having mature relationships with other people. And this is the picture I believe Paul's painting is, if you want to know what spiritual maturity looks like, look at a person in the way they relate to themselves and to God and to others, because maturity is found primarily in relationships. This morning, we're going to park entirely on this first one, character, or the way that we relate to ourselves. And the question, what we're going to basically look at is this. Don't try to memorize a list of descriptions of a person who is mature. Try to get a sense of the picture we're painting. What kind of human being is this? What would it feel like to be friends with such a person? How would I respond to them? Would I like them? Could I trust them? Would I follow them into battle? I, I, we're trying to paint a picture for you of a person who has a mature relationship with themselves. And as a result, they have a character that is stable and winsome. I think character matters a great deal. And I would define character as alignment between what you actually do in your life and what you say you really believe and value. Now, I know you've heard that before. and Before you fall asleep, bored of that familiar idea... Measure yourself according to this. When you say you really believe a thing, do you think the people who know you best would say, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I see it in her life everywhere. I see it all over his life. If you say you believe in hard work, would the people around you say, yeah, totally, that guy works his butt off in everything? Character is alignment between who I long to be, who I think I am, and who I actually am. And you won't really know what your true character is in isolation because we lie to ourselves all the time. 
Every time I do marriage counseling, it's like I don't have any work to do here. I have two innocent, totally mature, selfless people who are in an inexplicable fight. Because each person goes, well, let me tell you my side of it. I was being totally awesome as usual, uh, minding my own business, and they screwed up my whole life. It's all them. And the other person goes, oh, who is, they just stole my, th- I was going to say the same thing. And I'm going, well, why do you need me? You're both perfect. You clearly have no need of anyone because you do everything right. And that's why I'm saying you cannot actually know your character in isolation. You discover it in community, but it begins ultimately with not lying to yourself. Not being too quick to believe your own BS. Can I say BS in church? I just did. Okay, but you you understand what I'm saying. You know when someone else is lying to themselves out loud. You know it because you can tell. They're desperate for this to be true, but you're like... Honey, it's just not true. I know you want it to be, so do I, but it's just not there. And that's why I'm saying character has a huge impact on how we live and how we affect others. And it's a big sign of spiritual maturity. Richard Baxter, a 17th century um, Puritan pastor, wrote a book called The Reformed Pastor. It was The intended audience was training other pastors on how to be a good pastor. Here's one of the great lines he said, Take heed to yourselves, lest your example contradict your doctrine. And this is one of my favorite phrases. And lest you unsay with your lives what you say with your tongues. Because we're speaking all the time with two voices. The voice of my actual conduct and the voice of my words. And I think all of us would agree that the voice with our words is much easier and less costly than the voice of our actions. And so we speak to everyone with both of those voices, but we speak especially to ourselves. I don't think that our conduct, our character, is just an advertisement for the gospel message. Ultimately, I think it is the best way for us to understand, what am I really? What kind of person? I don't just try to achieve character so that the gospel message will find validation. I try to have a character because I need to know for myself, who exactly am I? What kind of person am I? I know what I tell everybody, but who am I really when it comes down to it? Can I actually be honest with myself? And so we're going to look at some of these descriptions of character. It's going to go faster than you, you think, so don't try to latch on to memorizing the list. Try with me like an artist to get a picture. Picture the person who is like this and think about the effect that such a person would have on you. The spiritually mature person first has respectability. Three times in this text, first to the elders, and then to the women, and then to the deacons, he says to all three groups, the one time he repeats everything is, be respectable. Be worthy of respect. Now that's saying more than you think, because can we be honest about it? To be respectable is more than just having a good public image. Respect is not easily given. It's not easily earned, is it? It only takes a moment to create attraction, awe, envy. It only takes a moment to make a radical first impression and to say to people, wow, he's impressive. Wow, she really makes an impression. That only takes a minute. But real respect takes a lot longer than that. A guy walks in with a perfect haircut and a nice suit and graying at the temples and he speaks with all the business lingo and you're like, that guy could be our next CEO because you're impressed. 
But you won't really know what he's like until you get to know him for a couple of years, watch him under pressure, and then you'll know whether you have God, whether he has your respect or not. If you give away respect too easily, you don't understand what respect is. Respect is hard-earned. That's why I laugh at the guys who hold a gun to you and say, you will respect me. Bro, if you need a gun to make me respect you, you're never going to have my respect. You can't demand respect. If your kids don't respect you, that's as much your problem as theirs. Probably a little more their problem, punks these days, you know, but... You get what I'm saying is you can't demand, you will respect me. They do or they don't. And it's a real mirror held up to us because respect is hard-earned over the long course. Respect is a way that other people have of telling us what you think you are, you actually are. I know you want to be a good man, a good woman, but respect is given when other people affirm, yes, in fact, that is who you are. I trust you. I believe in you. I look up to you. And because it is not easily given, what he's saying is a spiritually mature person is worthy of respect in that they so consistently live by this high standard for themselves, they are no longer on a performance. They are actually showing you the true nature of who they are. And because it's been so consistent, it's been so constant and steady, the people around them say, you have won my hard-earned respect. Here's another way of looking at it. The longer you know someone, the more you truly see of them. And if you've known someone a long time, you still find you genuinely respect them. They are the real deal. They are somebody worth trusting and emulating because it's easy to fake people out for a little while. It's really, really hard to fake people out forever. Aren't there people you know who you were so impressed by early on but as you got to watch them over time, you realize you're not who I thought you were. You pulled it off for a really long time, but I'm starting to see what you really are motivated by, what you value most, and I don't trust you anymore. I don't believe you want what you really said you want. So if you know somebody who is the real deal, give them your respect. One of the signs of spiritual maturity is that the majority of people around us can say with an honest face, I respect you. I respect you. And that's the kind of people God wants us to be. And let me tell you, I have a second agenda for why I'm saying all this. is because I am really hoping that many of you will feel the Holy Spirit churning in you during these three messages and have this desire awaken in you to become these kinds of people more and more each day. Because our church needs more of you to lead. We're entering a season where we're going to undertake great things and we're going to need great leaders. And I'm asking the, the Lord on my knees to awaken the hearts of many of you to want to become these kinds of people, to want to take responsibility and take the mantle of leadership. Here's a second um, sign of character that describes the spiritually mature person. It's consistency. I think one of the signs of spiritual maturity is a character that doesn't shift all the time. That isn't wishy-washy, but there's a solidness or stability. You're not given to erratic swings of conviction or mood, but there is a steadiness, a rock-like solidity to the way you affect others and the way you approach your own life. One of the, the things he says to the elders is, 
be above reproach. Um, that's a very interesting Greek word behind that English translation. It's a word that maybe a detective might use to say, we don't got enough on him. We cannot arrest him now because the charges won't stick. That's the best way to think about this phrase. It's a way of saying, yes, people are always going to be able to say things about anybody, but at the end of the day, a person who is spiritually mature, you find that it's hard to make the dirt stick. You might be hurt because you walk past them in the hallway and they didn't say hello to you, so you're like, wow, they're pretty unfriendly. I was really hurt by the pastor who doesn't love people because he didn't say hi to me. And you could begin spreading the word, hey, don't go to harvest. Pastor Dave is really unfriendly. Maybe that's true. I don't know. I hope not. But if I am spiritually mature and that doesn't accurately describe me, you can try to get people to believe that. But over time, my character will win out over the smear campaign and it won't stick. Because enough people will say, I don't get, that doesn't agree with what my experiences have been with that person. I get that you are hurt, but let's approach it another way. Because for the person who is spiritually mature, it's harder and harder to make the dirt stick. That doesn't mean they're perfect or they're never wrong or above questioning. Please don't take it the wrong way. If you feel bad about anything I've done, vocalize it. Please, I'm not going to punish you for saying it. But what I am saying is, if I am spiritually mature, if you are spiritually mature, it'll be harder and harder to get things to stick. You know, teenage kids are, are always in this kind of tension with their parents. Trust me more. Earn my trust. Trust me more. Well, earn my trust. And I think, I think both sides are right. If you don't want the habitual accusations of your parents to stick. Teenagers, I implore you, watch your conduct. Be stable and consistent. Every time you say you'll read and you don't read, every time you say you take out the garbage and you don't take out the every single time you do that, it adds another brick into this impression that you don't mean what you say. Consistency produces trust. Parents, same thing goes for you. People who don't have kids, the same goes for you. Is your word your bond? Paul picks up on that later when he says to the deacons, be sincere. That word, literally translated, is having two tongues or two words. It describes a person who instead of saying what is true, they say, what should I say in this situation? You know, we all get caught up in uncomfortable situations where Really horrible things are happening and we're flustered and we're not sure what to do or what to say. And a lot of people who are immature say, what is the right word for this situation? Meaning, what will get me in the least amount of trouble? What do these people want me to say? What will produce the best result? Spiritually mature people don't have two words for two people, two different words for two different situations. What they have is one way of looking at the world, one truth upon which they have based their lives. And so regardless of the situation... Regardless of all the audience, they will say the same thing every time. People who are spiritually mature don't engage in what we call situational ethics, where they decide the rightness and wrongness of their approach based on the situation itself, but they just say, this is always going to be right. This is always true. And there's a consistency in that. Have you ever had a person in your life who you said about them, Wow, they said that to you? That's not what they said to me. Huh. 
So I guess when they talk to you, they say one thing. When they talk to me, they say another thing. How do you feel about that person in your next conversation with them? Do you trust them? Do you believe anything they're saying? Does your heart open to them? What Paul is saying is if you're spiritually mature, one of the marks of that is you will say the same thing to everyone in every situation. There is an honesty, not because you know how to find the right words, but because you have a truth you live by, and it's the same truth no matter what it's going to cost you. He also says, finally, be trustworthy in everything. That's very straightforward, even in the Greek. It's just basically this. A spiritually mature person is so consistent that when you ask them to take care of something, you don't have to stay up at night worrying about it anymore. That whenever you engage them and entrust something to them, they give their very best to it. They're consistent in that commitment. Now, you know there are people like that who, when you ask them to do something, all night you worry, what's going to be like when I finally go and check their work? And then there are other people who, when you entrust something to them, you don't even remember you asked them to do it. It's just so comforting to have someone who is trustworthy in everything they do. And one of the signs of spiritual maturity is that people don't have to wonder, are you going to give me your best? You just consistently bring that to everything you do. There is a consistency to your life. And the thing I love about Harvest is I really feel like we have a lot of people here who are like that. I want to ask you, are you like that? Is there a consistency to you? In your, in your moral conduct, in your integrity, are people ready to defend you even if they hear bad things about you? Do they give you the benefit of the doubt right away? If, if, you, if you heard some rumor about me that I was doing something shady with some lady, I really hope that you wouldn't be like, really tell me more. I, I knew it all along. I just knew that guy. I hope that wouldn't be your response is to condemn me instantly at the first sign of bad news. If it is, that's my fault. (laughs) You're also evil, but it's my fault too because if I haven't won that kind of respect with the consistency of my character, then every bad rumor will find purchase, won't it? Because somewhere in the back of your mind is this idea, I always knew that was a possibility with him. I always knew when he hugged the ladies, he lingered a little too long. I, I always knew something was off with that guy, and now I know. The value of consistency is that it gives people a real sense of who you are, and even if they hear negative things, allows them comfortably to come to your defense as their first impulse. Let me give you one other thing here is integrity. The spiritually mature person has a character that is described by integrity, meaning there's a wholeness to there, to that. It's, it's not like it's shaky, it's porous, but it's solid. It holds together. One of the things he says to elders, be able to teach. On a practical level, one of the ways we've addressed that passage is by asking our lay elders to preach. And that's one application of it is, if you're an elder of the church, you should be able to communicate God's word to people verbally. It's an important capacity to have. But I think it's saying more than that. I think it means at least a couple important things. When it says be able to teach, here's what it means. One is... Obviously, you cannot teach what you don't know, and you cannot know what you haven't studied. 
So a lot of us are very good at something because we have poured ourselves into the study of it. We've pursued knowledge and we've gained it. And so in our particular field of endeavor, whatever your job may be, you, I'm sure, know more about it than I do. I don't know anything about money or cars or Wall Street or... I don't know anything about that stuff. But some of you do. I don't know how to fix a tooth. I don't know how to put on makeup. I don't know how to teach little kids... There's like a gazillion things I don't know. But I can tell you, I think I'm pretty comfortable with my knowledge of the Bible. But that's because I've studied one book my whole life. I'm not that clever. You doctors have to study like 80 books. I studied one book for all of my adult life. And because I pursued it, I feel like I know it. I would not know it by instinct. I could only know it because I have chased it. I've looked for it. I've tried to learn it. And so one of the implications is a sign of spiritual maturity is an active pursuit of Scripture so that it becomes the truth that you say you know. Now, I've got to be careful in saying this because I want to warn you, I've heard a lot of very strong opinions expressed about biblical things from people who don't really look at the Bible very much. It's okay, it's America. You're allowed to have opinions no matter how unfounded they are. But if you want to be taken seriously... I want to encourage you, don't just have Bible vocabulary in your strong opinions. Have Bible truth behind those strong opinions. Own your convictions because the Lord's word says so, not because you need it to say so. Own those convictions because you pursued God's truth and his truth was revealed to you. And now you know. The ability to teach presumes the commitment to know God's word. In fact, I would go as far as to say there is no pathway to spiritual maturity that bypasses the Bible. It is impossible to become spiritually mature while you ignore the Word of God. It is not possible to achieve that. It doesn't matter if you've grown up in the church, if you're best friends with like eight pastors, if you've served as a deacon and an elder and a Sunday school. None of that matters in the end. There is no way to achieve spiritual maturity without a personal commitment to pursue the truth of God's word. No shortcuts there. So that's one of the things I want to really encourage you with is if you want to be spiritually mature, open up the word of God and beg him to show you what he's saying. But I think there's a second part of it. And unless you preach most weekends like I do, you won't fully appreciate what I'm talking about here But let me just be transparent here. It's not enough to just know what you're going to say. If you don't have a clear conscience about it, if you don't feel like you have moral authority to say it, getting up here and telling other people what God says is one of the hardest things to do. There have been a number of weeks where I have not had victory in the very topic that I'm preaching on on Sunday, and those words choke in my throat like a chicken bone stuck in my throat. It is so hard. You felt it the same thing, right? You have that lecture to your teenage kid, kids, don't do drugs. And in your mind, you're like, yeah, like I used to do, you know. And you just realize you don't have the moral authority to be so dogmatic because you're telling them, hey, watch your language, even though mommy never watches her language when she's really mad. You watch your language, little kid. And even as you're saying it, something in you is going, oh, man, it's hard to feel really good about this right now. Kids scared, they're listening because you're yelling, but in your own heart, you don't feel it. The mojo is not there. 
Because I think the ability to teach doesn't just come from intellect. It comes from moral authority. It comes from the power of a clear conscience, of being able to say, I don't just know the right words. I have obeyed these words in my own life to great cost. It's reshaped the way that I live every single day. That doesn't mean you have to be perfect to be called spiritually mature, but it does mean you have to engage in an expensive struggle to mean what you say and say what you mean. If I were to put it crassly, you don't get to be a leader and a spiritually mature person and still be full of poop all the time. Do you know what I'm saying? We have to become people who know the word of God and with great courage and commitment align our lives with that word regardless of the cost or the pain that might come. Trusting that as we do it, that very obedience is God's pathway out of pain and out of suffering. That produces spiritual maturity. It produces trust and confidence in people. And let me give you the flip side of that picture. To live without a clear conscience is psychologically and spiritually very, very damaging. It's kind of like this. There is an immediate risk of drinking and driving, right? You could hurt people. So over-drinking has some immediate risks. You might get into a fight with someone. You might say something you didn't mean to say that has very long-reaching implications. You might get behind the wheel of a car and plow into an innocent family. There's a lot of bad things that happen to people when they drink too much in the immediate moment. But if you keep doing that, there's also a long-term effect, which is what? the long-term erosion of the health of your liver, so that it's not just you've dodged a thousand drunk driving episodes, you've dodged a thousand possible fights or putting your foot in your mouth, but you cannot dodge the long-term effects on your liver. It is toxic, it is damaging to engage in self-destructive behavior for the long haul. And that's at a physical level. Let me just, and this is not a, this is not a message on, on alcohol, but I'm giving you the parallel here. If you live with an unclear conscience and you've learned to be okay with that, you might get away with it today or tomorrow or the day after. But let me assure you, it is extremely damaging to your heart and your mind and your soul to maintain a lifestyle with an unclear conscience. It's important to do something about your conscience right now. Let me give you one last thing here. The character that arises out of a spiritual maturity also has humility. Humility. Paul warns that elders should not be recent converts. And I understand why he needs to say it, because there's something I've observed. Sometimes brand new Christians are like the most intoxicating, exciting people to be around. Sometimes a person who's been a Christian one month makes you say, like, I wish all of us would be more like this guy. He's been at it one month, and he's so alive and the temptation often is to say, all these old-time veterans, look, they're like dead. It's like a spiritual nursing home, but you, new baby, you're like on fire. You're, you're cocoa, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. This guy's insane. Why don't we just let him lead? And I'll confess to you, we've done that in the past at our church. I just need to say we. I've done it. I've elevated people 
to leadership far beyond where they should have been. And it was nice in the first couple days, but it always inevitably came crashing down on us. I think our authority and influence should always be proportional to our maturity. See, we don't elevate people to places of responsibility because they're zealous and excited, but because they have a character that could bear the weight of that responsibility. I think more than anything else, it's this kind of self-awareness that, that saying, I don't want to seek more influence, more authority than I know I have a right to wield because I have a healthy self-image. I see in myself what is really there, not what I wish I saw there. I won't demand that people trust me and respect me and empower me more than my character can handle. I want to ask you, do you have that kind of humility? See, in general, people see the real you over time. And sometimes it's aggravating when people don't give you the invitation, the opportunities you feel you've earned. But whenever that happens, I want to encourage you, always look inward first. Could it be that they see limitations where I don't see them in myself? That I need to be sober-minded about what I'm really like and what my capacity is. I think we should always seek trust, confidence, empowerment, authority that is proportional to the character that we actually have. Because to do otherwise is damaging to ourselves and it's certainly going to be damaging to the people who have trusted us. He says a similar thing to the deacons. He says, before you go and let them serve as deacons, which is a leadership position, first make sure they know what they're doing. First put them to test and and see if they do the ministry effectively. Don't presume that by giving someone a title and a lot of influence, they're going to become someone other than who they currently are. There needs to be humility that says, before I ask you to trust me and take my word for something, I invite you to actually weigh my life on the scales and see if what I am is what I am. It also says that the people who should have influence in the church are the people who are rolling up their sleeves and helping to build the church. Uh, And I want to just encourage you with that as well. Over the history of our church, there has been no shortage of opinions about how things should go. Many of them have helped shape the direction of our church. Keep those emails and phone calls coming. Okay? All of them are welcome. But I have also noticed that sometimes the most vocal crit- critics of our church are people who have very well-formed opinions about a church that they have not actually served. And so I want to encourage you, if you really care about this place, I'll just say it like this. Constructive criticism is not a valid ministry in the church. It is a right and a privilege for those who are pulling the wagon together. But really, let's not be that guy who isn't pulling on the rope and saying to everybody else, you're pulling it wrong. Go left, go right. Nobody likes that guy. Don't be that guy. If you really want to have a voice in a community of people, if you really want to be trusted to have real influence, roll up your sleeves and get involved. Don't watch from the sidelines. 
Don't spare yourself your time and your money and your energy for something else. Give of yourself, and you'll be given a little bit more authority, a little bit more influence. And that's ultimately a sign of maturity, is that a person has the humility not to demand more than they've earned. So let me ask you, is that true of you? Are you content to be entrusted with what you've earned and not demand more than that? I think that's a very hard thing to do. But one of the ways we know we're maturing in Christ is that there is a deep and honest humility in the way that we relate to other people. It might seem to you like a stretch to talk about character as a relationship with ourselves. But I really believe more and more as I do ministry and as I look into my own dark, deep heart that that's true. That ultimately, my character is an expression of just how honest I am with myself. I shouldn't have to shout loudly to you that this is my character. My character shouts loudly every day. It does. And the choices I make, and the attitudes I wear, and the things I believe and say and do, my character shouts every day. And so I really believe that as we reflect on what our character is like, a good starting place is to say, God, do I lie to myself or do I tell the truth? Do I really know who I am or am I too busy shouting at everyone else who I am to really know the truth about me? Do I have the courage to stand long and deep before the mirror as your spirit tells me the truth about myself? Let me end with this. When I was a kid, I was told that um, if you stare in the mirror with the lights off and a flashlight on, and you stare in your bathroom mirror and say, I believe in blood. Remember this? I believe in Bloody Mary. You say it like three times, a ghost will pop out of the, the mirror, some, some strange nonsense like that. And I think you had to say it like ten times. I would get all the way up to nine, and I would always chicken out, because I actually wondered. I've discovered now, though, that when I stare a long time in a mirror, I'm scared for other reasons. And no, it's not what you think. It's not because I'm ugly. And I, yes, those things worry me as well. I, I see all the blemishes and imperfections. But I also find that when I stare deep into my own eyes and make eye contact in the mirror, I find that it's actually intensely uncomfortable. It's like counseling myself. <laughs> and what I discover is... Whether I can actually make eye contact with myself in the mirror and hold it is a pretty good measure of whether I believe myself, whether I respect myself, whether my character arises out of honesty with myself. Because if I am full of it, I find it's really hard to look at myself in the mirror. I've said it before in different contexts, but I'll just say it again. Try it when you go home tonight. Not the Bloody Mary thing, but just... I don't know if you realize just how ready you are to believe your own press. You are your own PR department, aren't you? But when everyone's gone and you're right there in the mirror, just look. Just look. And don't break away after two seconds. I mean, really, look. You don't really know what I'm talking about until you spend ten minutes. Ten minutes feels like ten years when you're staring at yourself in the mirror. And then once you get used to it, let me kick it up a notch. 
Start talking to yourself. Not like a crazy person, but like you would in a conversation. What are you doing? Why are you so mad? What are you so scared about? Why are you so worried all the time? What do you think is going to happen here? Why do you want that so badly? And as you stare into the mirror, it's going to force the issue. Can you really behold yourself and start to get honest? Can I encourage you to really try that sometime the next week? And then find a friend and tell them what that was like. I promise you it'll be an interesting conversation worth the price of a couple cups of coffee. Why don't we bow and let's pray together. Let's bring this to a close. So there's a young man that I have invested in for a long, long time. Many, many years. And the one consistent question he has asked me over and over is what do you mean when you keep saying character? I've always told him, you've got to have character. He always asks me, what do you mean by character? I think the simplest way to say it is, character is what you really, really believe, put into practice. It's when you don't allow yourself to be two people, but you insist that you would just be one. That the person you see in your head is the same person everybody else sees every day. Character is honesty of the soul with oneself and before God, our maker. And I think it's important for us as we strive for spiritual maturity that we understand it begins there. That it begins with character. So why don't don't we just take a moment to sit quietly before God and let's reflect on our character. And if there's something you need to hear, invite the Lord to say it. If there's something you need to say, say it quietly to the Lord. And I'll just close for us in a minute. I believe that God is calling out to some of you in particular this morning, inviting you to make a conscious decision to be committed to growing spiritually. You've grown in so many ways as an adult, but I think the Lord is really reaching after some of you in particular right now to say, will you commit yourself also to grow to spiritual maturity? Don't start with what you know in your head, but begin with aligning what you believe with how you live. Aim for a character that is marked by respect, hard-earned, hard-won respect, by consistency, by knowing the truth of God's Word and practicing it with a clear conscience, and by having a humility that never seeks more than our character has earned. If you sense God is calling you to make that commitment, 
simply say, yes, Lord, show me what comes next. But I want that too. I'm ready. Just make that decision right now in your heart that that matters to you, that you're going to pursue it. God, we're trusting you that as you call out to our hearts, press down on our hearts with convictions that come from you, as we say yes to you in those times, you will start to move in our life. We pray especially for those who have grown in so many other ways, but it has been a long, long time since they actively grew spiritual maturity as they respond to you now this morning show them what must happen next start opening the doors and helping them take their next steps raise up for yourself mature people in this family who can lead we pray for all those who will make an investment in others that you will strengthen them as they engage in that important ministry. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.